You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, beloved. It's so good to be with you on this Sunday morning. I greet you in the name of Christ Revolutionary, and I bring you greetings from the Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, New York. This morning's text comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20, verses 9 through 16 in the New Revised Standard Version. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The title of this morning's sermon is Bills, Bills, Bills. When I was eight, a groundbreaking womanist text in the form of a radio single changed the world. At first, we started out real cool, taking me places I ain't never been, but now you're getting comfortable, ain't doing those things you did no more, slowly making me pay for things your money should be handling. It was a catchy hit, a bop. And the best part of the song was, of course, the wordplay in the chorus. Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? Can you pay my automobiles? And if you did, maybe we could chill. I don't think you do. So you and me are through. And of course, people began to poke holes at the song, saying things like, why do women always want a man with money? You can't take a brother when he's getting started. Or why are black people always talking about money? Everybody chasing a dollar. What about love? Or how y'all gonna make a song called Bills, 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 and then make a song called Independent Women? Now, I used to wonder these things myself, and then I realized I was asking the wrong questions because the better question is, why were these young women singing about financial equality in relationships and being mocked for it? And why do these teenagers have such intimate experience with someone using them for money? What's going on? And how can we teach children to recognize the signs of financial abuse? After all, later on in the song, the women begin to sing, now you've been maxing out my cards, giving me bad credit, 
buying me gifts with my own ends. Haven't paid the first bill, but you steady going to the mall, going on shopping sprees, perpetrating to your friends that you be balling. <laughs> These are women who are lamenting the pain of living in a world where people, namely their men, their romantic partners, are taking advantage of their hearts and wallets. These are women who are realizing that their labor makes the boss a dollar and they only take home a dime if they're lucky. Lucky, But these are not gold diggers. They're just people who notice their coins. When you make 68 cents to every white man's dollar, you notice your coins. When it takes you a year and eight months to make what your peers make, you notice your coins. And when the greatest determination of how a community is doing is how its single mothers are doing, you notice your coins. And so here we have a story of Jesus noticing coins and absolutely turning the concept of money for work on its head. Here, Jesus is speaking in cold. In a parable, he describes what the kingdom of heaven may look like. And in your own devotional period, I encourage you to take a look at what he says this entire chapter because, wow, is it a doozy. But what's most significant about parables is that they are, in fact, made up stories. They are folk tales. These stories are teaching tools meant to help people understand a more elusive idea but most importantly, these parables are made up. This is not a historical accounting of what actually happened, but instead an imagined scenario that is intentionally designed. There is no real landowner and there is no real field. And we don't know if Jesus made this parable up or if someone in his life taught it to him at the kitchen table, but here and now, Jesus decides to tell a very backward story about labor and money. So basically, in Jesus' folk tale, a bunch of people come to work in a field because they were sought out by a landowner. And there were different groups that came at different times. There was an early morning group that came at 9, and a midday group that came at 12, and a group that came at 3, and then a group that almost came around quitting time. And at the end of the workday, the boss says to the manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and ending with the first. And those who were hired at five at the end of the day were paid as if they had worked the entire day. What stands out to me about this story is that the landowner goes out to seek the laborers for the vineyard. The laborers don't have to apply and they don't need to know someone in the office to advance their application and they don't have to wait in a lottery or have the right credentials. But instead, the landowner seeks laborers. And when, it gets, when it's time to get paid, the checks don't make any sense. Everyone gets paid the same no matter how many hours they've worked. Now, this passage is often used in the spiritual sense. Because we as Christians often say, it doesn't matter when you've accepted Christ into your heart, if you're a 9 a.m. believer or a 5 p.m. believer, you will still get into heaven. 
But for the time that we have together, I want us to consider the words of this parable in their most earthly sense. I do not have a heaven or a hell to send you to, but I do know that for the time that we are on this planet, we can either build heaven or wallow in the hell that is around us. And this image of what the kingdom of heaven is like isn't just about the hereafter. It is about the kinds of conditions that need to be spun upside down in order for heaven to be tangible here. So the landowner begins to give out the checks, but in order of those who came last first. The latecomers receive their checks first, and they all receive their daily wage. Then the next group gets their disbursement and then grumbles, resound in the office. Because the first group believed that they would get more. And instead, everyone got the usual daily wage. This last set of people only worked one hour and you have made them equal to us. For us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, Christ subverts what we believe to be fair. Christ offers daily bread and daily wages, not one-time stimulus checks that barely cover rent in most U.S. cities. And yet Jesus, in the voice of the landowner, says to these people, friend, as if to disarm, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. In Christ's imagination, because that's what a parable is, a glimpse into Christ's imagination, everyone gets the same wage. We do not currently live in a world that resembles this imagination because under capitalism and under empire, under oppression, we imagine that those who work harder somehow deserve more money. We think that people who have money have it because they've worked hard. But if that were the case, the people who would have the most money would not be white men who inherited wealth from the slave trade or make deals on Wall Street. If you believe that people who worked hard earned money according to hard work, it would be single black mothers who would have the most money. And it would be black trans women who run crowdfunding campaigns for their friends. And it would be disabled and chronically ill folks who steward and manage care pods, pandemic or not. There are people who work hard, who never have anything to show for it financially. Jeff Bezos does not work hard. Mark Zuckerberg does not work hard. Michael Bloomberg does not work hard. The rest of us do. And Christ offers us daily wages. You deserve to be paid a daily wage, a living wage. So here is the question. What is the wage that will support your living? You don't have to work for pay to be worthy of life. Christ goes out to find the people who need a day's wage because everyone has to eat. As Beyonce would later go on to sing, all the people on the planet working nine to five just to stay alive. 
How come? I like the New Revised Standard Version's translation for a few reasons. It continues to use the word daily. And you'll see the phrase daily wage four times in this passage. When I hear the word daily, I think about Jesus' prayer that God would give us this day our daily bread. No matter what kind of work you do, you need to eat daily. No matter if you're a sanitation worker or a sex worker, an artist, a teacher, a student, a doctor, a parent, a child, an astronaut, a cab driver, you need to eat. And I have to give a special shout out to my sister, Hannah Soldner, who two years ago put me on to this connection. You cannot have your daily bread in this economy without a daily wage, a wage that suffices for the day. But in Christ's time and in ours, there are ways that people are traumatized via money and benefits and the withholding of those things. For example, disabled people do not have less rent to pay. In fact, disabled people have to negotiate with ableist legislation that continues to dehumanize and policies that discourage marriage lest they be in jeopardy of losing their benefits. If you're a caregiver and your days are spent tending to loved ones, you don't have less groceries to buy. Your bills are not prorated to meet your ability. In fact, as researchers and organizers and everyday people remind the rest of the world every day, it is expensive to be poor. It's easier to save money when you have it in the first place. This is when, of course, government subsidies and programs like food stamps and health coverage and vouchers for housing make a difference because it makes it possible for so many people to breathe. The problem is not that there are free resources. The problem is that public programs for the good of the people are underfunded and rarely are they carried out with dignity. And public programs save nations. Ask the rest of the world how they're managing 2020. We as a country, the United States, are so far behind because more of our people have to choose between paying rent and adhering to quarantine orders. But fairness will always confuse the people who need the world to be crooked. And it will confuse the people who have been told to situate their worth in who they are as people who can amass wealth. I'll ask it to you this way. Why do you think that some people came at nine and others came at noon? Why do you think some people came so late that their daily wage was offensive? Well, we don't know. The text never tells us. Perhaps the people who came later were watching children and they had just gotten off of school. Or perhaps the people who came later took longer because their car broke down for the third time this month. Or perhaps the people who came later had a heavy pain day. 
or perhaps the people who came later were in the middle of a depressive episode, and the idea of being at work was just another weight they could not hold. You just don't know why people are late. But in this world, then and now, we assume that those who get there earlier are responsible. But it may be that you just had the cushions and the support to assimilate into a capitalist economic structure. You had a safe place to lay your head at night, and therefore you could get some sleep. You had a relative who could put you on and make an introduction. You had the ability to take an unpaid internship. So, of course, it was easier for you to get to work on time because everything was set up to support you. Some people have not even received the first stimulus check. And in this season, people are making arguments that are anti-Black. Why do people need $600 a week to sit on their behinds? Why would someone be motivated to work if they could eat for free? Waiters don't need to get a tip. If I don't like the service, I'm not tipping. We can't just give $1,200 to people. They'll just go out and buy sneakers and gadgets. This is the soundbite that people are running with. But in the last few months, people's electricity bills have skyrocketed because everyone is home at the same time. People need multiple reliable gadgets in order to work from home. The price of staple foods is fluctuating and no one is canceling rent, which means that the bill has been mounting and mounting and organizers are predicting a mass eviction wave in the next few weeks. And we're arguing about a day's wage we're arguing about $1,200. What will it take to completely reorient our understanding of labor and merit and worthiness? Every so often, I see this thought exercise go viral. And it's a joy to think about, and I want to invite you to think about it with me. What would you do if you did not have to work for money? How would you spend your days if you knew that you would always have a safe place to live, a full fridge, and health care? Every time I see some variation of this online, I'm moved by the answers. At least from the people that I'm in community with, people say that they would invest in their communities. People dream of starting schools, community centers, elder care set systems farming, writing music. And some people would just like to rest, which is generative for the community on its own. The lie is that having to work makes us better humans. We are a culture steeped in that Protestant work ethic, that idea that you rise and you grind and you sleep when you dead. This world has lied to us and has told us that if we don't have if we didn't work for our supper, then no one would produce anything. That we must be swindled or coaxed into producing. But the opposite is true. How many vaccines, plays and stories and recipes, inventions 
are trapped in the mind of someone who is burnt out from working jobs that don't pay well? How many years could we add to our lives if we were not stressed about money? Imagine who we could be if we were not worried about getting to work on time. If no matter what, no matter how we spend our days, we could trust that our needs would be met. So I want you to return to the psalmist for this morning, the children of destiny. And instead of imagining this song as one written for a man by a woman, I want you to read this song as a song of the people writing to this world. This is the song that I would sing to elected officials who are moving like molasses on economic stimulus plans. And now you ask to use my car. Drive it all day and don't fill up the tank. And then you have the audacity to even come and step to me. Ask to hold some money from me until you get your check next week. One of these glad mornings, our leaders will have to account for the trillions of dollars spent on military budgets, while health care and education and arts and agriculture are so precariously positioned in these days. But if you feel used, if you feel unheard, if you feel like you are pushing an impossible boulder up an incredibly steep hill in the rain, if you look at your bank statements and you see more months than money, and if you have to move money around and shift the pay date for different bills, you are not alone. These are some impossible financial times, and it's not your responsibility to keep your head above water when the powers are actively trying to drown you. You deserve a daily wage. And Christ cares about you getting your daily wage. And in his imagination, the landowner seeks you out and pays everybody the same. Because we all got to eat. Louis Armstrong saying it this way, I got a robe, you got a robe, all God's children got a robe. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my robe and shout all over God's heaven. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.